Hi guys, a quick message from Cara in the future here. I'm recording this on March 1st, 2024, because the main crisis that we talk about in this episode, of course, is the war happening in Palestine at the moment. And Naomi and myself initially recorded this interview in November. Since then, people have been listening at their leisure and some people have gotten in touch to ask why doesn't Naomi or myself refer to this as a genocide and that's because we recorded it in November and of course since then things have unfortunately escalated to an unthinkable level. As I said this is the 1st of March, only yesterday uh, over 100 people were killed as they were going to food trucks and this is a really dire situation that Naomi now refers to as a level nine extermination risk genocide. And I just wanted to put that in there because anyone might think that we're denying the reality of what's happening, but it was just recorded not too long after October 7th. And I think it's important that we refer to it in the right language that it is. It is still a really important interview to listen to. I found this so helpful. I have listened back to it and I hope you guys will enjoy it as well. And don't forget to mind yourself and do everything we can. We need to keep the pressure on to end the genocide that is currently happening in Gaza and in Palestine. Thank you so much for listening and sending you lots of love. Hello and welcome to the Book of Leaves podcast. My name is Cara Carney and I am the host. Welcome to Book of Leaves, a podcast where I interview people that are doing something good for the planet and the whole idea is we can take a leaf out of their book to add to our own way of eco-friendly living. But being eco isn't all about recycling and individual changes we can make to our own life. A lot of it is intertwined with other crises And of course, in this episode, we're going to be talking about conflict and war. Given everything that's going on, especially in Palestine at the moment, I really wanted to chat to someone to not just talk about the environmental impact that war can have, but how this affects us as human beings, as as animals, which we are, as part of nature. This war goes against our very nature, the the kind of war that we're seeing at the moment. And we're going to be talking to Naomi Sheehan, who is a scientist that I actually met through Extinction Rebellion a few years ago, but this is the first time we actually got to sit down and have a chat, just just the two of us, you know. I've seen her at a good few protests and events and things like that. So yeah, I really enjoyed this chat. It I know it's a long one, but I really felt that I had to give space to this topic and I could have chatted to Naomi for another two or three hours. This is a really encouraging discussion. She really knows what she's talking about. I know it can be really weird and I shared um, a poem by Sive, the musician and singer-songwriter Sive, who goes by Sive O'Sullivan on Instagram, but I shared her poem on my podcast Instagram yesterday because I, I it just really resonated with me. It's a beautiful piece about experiencing watching birds over here and then there's people dying over there and it is it's a really strange time to be alive because life is so beautiful and you want to be able to enjoy it and then you have these bittersweet moments of knowing what's going on like it's just so so heavy and 
yeah, I really just wanted to chat to someone um, to help me, not just not just you guys, but I really needed help. This is what my therapy session was all about with my therapist last was digesting what I've seen on, on social media and, and how to process this and continue being an activist. Like it's it's really affecting a lot of us. And she was saying a lot of her clients are, are experiencing this the heaviness like there's like a great unraveling um happening right now so how do we deal with that and Naomi is very much going to talk us through her own personal story because this is what she does for a living is deal with um people who are experiencing conflicts various sorts of crises so I do though before we get in just want to give you guys a trigger warning obviously we we are talking about war and we don't go into gory details or anything like that but if you're not in the headspace right now that is okay you can come back to this another time I have put everything in the show notes so you can time stamp you can check the topics that we chat about and skip forward past anything that you don't want to hear I do think it, like I'm in a very fragile place and I, 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 I was able for this but I know everyone is different and then we also do talk about um, suicide that is around the the 14 minute mark and um, yeah it's referenced twice then within, within 10 minutes so I just want to let you guys know that and again you can skip forward I've put TW in the minutes that that is that comes up so if you're not able for that that's okay Um yeah i really really enjoyed this chat and i think it's much needed i'll hand the mic over to naomi now have a cup of tea go for a walk and let her words uh, sink in and nourish you and yeah i'm holding your hand through this and i'll talk to you after for some quick show notes me Cara. Uh, my name is Naomi Sheehan. I'm a sustainable development scientist and a climate advisor and my main area of research is something called uh, planetary polycrisis theorism. So that basically looks at how global crises intersect with each other, how they're interconnected and how they can worsen one another. Mm. Um, so it's a it's a fun area of research. Yeah. It is actually really interesting though. Mm, poly poly crisis is that what you said yes that's so interesting because like poly when I hear poly I think poly pocket it's such a happy thing and then poly crisis I'm like oh no (laughs) (laughs) and obviously so to be so heavily involved in the environmental kind of sector you've obviously cared about this for a while so what was the catalyst for you to I guess make this part of your life what or who inspired you so I guess for me I have always really felt part of nature Hmm. um and I always very I, I felt as a child I felt very disconnected to what other children maybe were into so I was the kid who was always in the forest always with animals I was on a BMX. I was never a girly girl. And I went to a school where the nuns in that school, they were amazing. They were actually kind of activists in themselves, if I'm honest. They were missionaries and and they would have worked in places like Sierra Leone and Ethiopia. So, So they would come back and our teachers would tell us about all of the really difficult things that they'd seen and what children in other countries were going through. 
So from a very early age, I had that connection. And I always remember when I was about eight or nine years of age, standing on stage at school and we were doing like an end of year show or something. I can't remember the context, but I decided that I would dress up as like a protester and I had a sign and it said we didn't start the fire and I was dancing to Billy Joel's yeah and I'm showing my age with this and um, because <laughs> maybe some of your listeners don't know Billy Joel's we didn't start uh, the fire. we didn't start the fire da, 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 da. I think yeah I think most people would know that song it's a classic yeah 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 good, and yeah. you know I think it's still really relevant today actually when I think of it um and and the words you know it it goes down through all of the current world events and all of the things that were going wrong in the world and it it spoke about racism and war and and listed countries like Afghanistan and Palestine and here I am and I'm now in my 40s and I'm kind of going well what's actually changed. So for me, I was always really interested in in nature and the environment because I am nature. We all are nature, but I think we have a tendency mm-hmm. maybe to forget that. Yeah. But for me, I got busy being an adult and having a career and just trying to, you know, do the usual things that you're told to do uh, when you're growing up, like yeah. get a roof over your head and have a good career so I did that. Um, and I always trying to bring sustainability into what I did. So I mainly worked in business operations and oh. I worked in corporations for 20 years. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to be honest with you, I got so frustrated and burnt out that I just had to leave. You know, I mean, there, you'd often meet people who were trying to make differences, but just didn't understand the gravitas of the situation that we were mm. in. Mm-hmm. Um, and I started out as... Uh, I was actually in architecture and design. So my main thing was in the built environment. And I was trying to bring sustainability to the built environment of corporations and to business operations. So the built environment is a very, very challenging place to be in, particularly as a woman. I felt like I was banging my head against a wall a lot of the time, if I'm honest. You know, it got to the stage where on paper, I suppose I looked like I was very successful to people and... I was head of global operations and advertising for one of the biggest multinationals in the world. I still didn't feel like I was able to enact the kind of change that I wanted to see in terms of sustainability and climate. And I was getting really, really worried. And I think for me, Cara, it came to a point where I got caught in the the fires, the Californian fires um, of October 2019, which were record breaking fires. Um, and I was caught with my best friend who was living in California at the time. Um, when you say caught, you were physically caught in them, not like emotionally. No, we were physically caught. Oh, yeah. um, they were coming towards us. There were evacuation orders. The power lines had to be cut. We were in a very remote part of California. Jeez. So when the power lines, the, the fires were traveling along the, fi- the power lines. So they have to cut all of the electricity to the area. And if you can imagine ha- not having electricity when you're trying to get out of a place, that means you can't get petrol or gas into your car. Mm. You can't run unless you have backup generators. You You can't cook. You know, you're relying on businesses essentially to have these kind of backup services and they didn't so within the space of a couple of days the shops ran out of food 
they closed. We were really in an emergency situation. We couldn't leave the area. All flights were grounded as well. So it wasn't like you could just jump on a plane if your car didn't have gas. Um, And the fires were advancing towards us. And I remember just thinking, if I get, you know, and that's as a privileged white person being in that situation where, Mm. you know, I I had the money and and all the rest of it to to actually, you know, Mm. try to get myself out of the situation. And I remember thinking, how do people who are indigenous, how do people who are in systemic poverty get out of situations like this? And it was just that wake up moment for me where I realized I can't keep going with business as usual in corporate life. It's mm-hmm. over. Mm-hmm. And I, I think basically that Naomi, she she died then. Yeah. Um, and that's when I went into uh, I did a master's in uh, in climate and in sustainable development. And that's basically in policymaking, um, because I realized that this has to come from both above in terms of the power uh, matrixes, as well as coming from below and grassroots activism and organization. So I've tried to tackle it from both levels, mm. but I wouldn't have described myself really as an activist until 2019. Wow. Until coming out of that, Jesus. Well, I'm so glad uh, you and your friend are okay. And, you know, what a, what, like, what a huge cost for you to go through to get to where you are now and it's just before moving on very quickly you you said some of the exact same words that my most recent interview guest on on the last episode of the episode before this with Anya Murray said when she was working in policy growing up or when she was working in policy in her 20s and 30s in in Ireland she felt like she was banging her head against a brick wall trying to engage with people so you know and especially as a woman as well so I think but so yeah I just wanted to echo that um but obviously we're going to be talking explaining a little bit about why you moved from sustainability into kind of poly crisis and what your research so I but is it good to kind of talk about the personal war first or talk about why you moved from one to the other I guess they're all intertwined right yeah I guess it's and this is where the whole intersectionality of the planetary poly crisis comes in where we have this meta crisis, if you like. I mean, it's mm-hmm. hard to keep up with the number of like we've got health crisis. We have got a financial crisis. We've got what's called a cost of living crisis, which I, I don't identify with that language. I would call it a cost of corruption crisis mm-hmm. and a cost of capitalism crisis. Nice. Um and and equally, we have a social justice crisis, and that is largely from you know it's 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 taking place by the global now north against the global south. But it's equally happening within our own communities, within our own countries, and within ourselves. So for me, I recognised that there was this personal war going on where I felt so dislocated from the people around me. You know, growing up, for example, you know, people were focused on uh, boys and their hair and all this kind of stuff. And mm-hmm. part of me feels like society didn't move on a lot from that. And um, there's a lot of superficiality that goes with uh, living in capitalist Western societies. And I don't fit into that narrative. I don't. Mm. And I found that from my own mental health was really being affected by it. And I think that's really important to call out. And I I try to talk about this as much as possible in my work because I hear a lot of people and and I should 
I should outline that um, one of my best friends took their own lives when they were 27. They had studied marine biology um, and they had become incredibly depressed and I did not realize it and I did not see the signs myself and I wish I had spoken a lot more about mental health because I think perhaps she could have related to Mm. to how I felt but I I felt like oh I shouldn't say this out loud you know I shouldn't say that I feel like I'm going insane here Mm -hmm. but actually it's that the world is insane yeah you know, and I think that's really important for everyone to, to to remember, particularly as an activist, is, you know, there's that famous quote. It is I can't remember the exact words, but it's 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 no uh, reflection of uh, good health to be well adjusted to a sick society. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. you know, if you're not OK right now. That is perfectly normal. Yeah. And I am not okay right now. And I say it to people all the time. And the amount of people who come up to me afterwards when I've, you know, done a talk or, you know, written online on LinkedIn or whatever, the amount of people who message me privately and say, I don't feel like I can say that publicly. But when people like you say it, it makes me feel less crazy. Mm. And, And I think that is a war within ourselves where, it's the, kind of the first bridge to cross. And I think that's ultimately what happened to me when I kind of had that tipping point myself um, and facing the Californian fires head on. There was also facing that war within my own head of yeah. kind of going, no, OK, this is actually happening and we need to do something about this. That struggle with like against like cognitive dissonance that we have like the conditioning to accept certain things in society like you're saying that you know we are not separate from nature but the life we mostly all live would tell us otherwise that we are separate you know and nature is something that we use for our benefit but I truly believe in every human there is some kind of cognitive dissonance going on there to help function with that and I really appreciate you saying that I'm so sorry to hear about the loss of your friend I mean mental health is such a taboo still even today in 2023 um so I, lo- I love that this is the first leaf you can offer listeners is to actually acknowledge that they're not okay. And do you find that that helps you in engaging with the news of what's happening today? Because like, I do f- find myself getting frustrated with friends who aren't in the activism circle who say they can't even look at the news because they have kids and it just breaks their heart too much. Mm. And there's like, I have, I, I recognize this anger and frustration in me that I'm like, well, I just hope you're doing something instead. You know, that's kind of what's going through my head. Like, but that's, that's not helpful. And I haven't expressed that, but mm. you know, I'm obviously not okay. I mean, an hour ago on social media, I was scrolling and I, uh, before I could keep scrolling, I saw a horrible footage of, um, the nine-year-old or eight-year-old boy who got shot by the Israeli Defense Forces yesterday in the West Bank in Palestine. And oh, there was me after seeing someone die. Oh, it's horrible. So how do you get through that fate, like the crisis, the poly crises that you're researching and you're learning about every day, acknowledging you're not okay? It sounds like maybe like the first step and don't not being afraid to share that with other people, but like what other tips do you have then 
to help us face the news but stay active and not become numb to it because we're obviously going to get into some very kind of difficult to hear facts yes that's a really great question and a big question, so you, you don't have question. to have all and the I, I, I hear you, you know, I don't think there's any easy answer to this, right? It is no. so multifaceted and everyone has different response and coping mechanisms. And for some people, a coping mechanism is avoidance. Yeah. That's how they survive. And and I'm going to say something that, you know, it's it's controversial in terms of, Some people say, you know, you can't let yourself off the hook. You can't turn the opposite way. You can. And if you are really not able to cope, and I'm thinking now of my friend who took her own life. I do feel that if someone said to her, if you're really not doing okay, the best thing that you can do is to try to look after your own mental health. Because if you do not have your own mental health, you can't possibly pour from an empty cup you can't help anyone else so for me you know how how does that look I know that can be very white and privileged in terms of talking about mental health you know how do you have mental health when we are witnessing such ecological collapse and such humanitarian collapse and for me that's where I have to find joy Uh, and joy is an act of rebellion for me Because what I do is so dark, the research that I have to look into is so difficult that if I didn't find equal amounts of joy, I just wouldn't be able to function. I don't think I'd get out of bed. I've got to be honest with you, Cara. Uh, I I do a lot of grief work um, and I think grief work is something that has really, really helped me personally. Um, And I know a lot of frontline defenders do a lot of of grief work, you know, so people who are medics, doctors, surgeons, um, you know, the paramedics, people who see trauma on a daily, daily basis. And it's called vicarious trauma, right? When you're not actually going through it yourself, but you're witnessing somebody else going through it. So when you describe to me what you just saw online, You've actually gone through a trauma yourself because you have witnessed something horrific that no human being has the tools for coping with what we're all witnessing right now on social media. And I just want to call that out to people where, you know, I I do think there's a lot of shaming sometimes of of people who can't look. I I have kind of built up a resilience uh, I've got to be honest, and I'm, I, I also, I, you know, I, I don't have children myself. I don't have young children. I do have a member of my family who is a, an adopted climate refugee. I think that probably makes me more resilient in terms of I think of him, mm. and I think of what his family are going through in genocide in the Democratic Republic of Congo, where seventy-five million children in eastern congo are currently going through level eight extermination it's called that is hard to even for me to say my heart hurts when i have to say that of course and yet i have to remember that i'm privileged to not be the one who's going through it Mm -hmm. 
And if I, what, you know, my advice there would be is where you have to be so compassionate with yourself. You have to allow yourself to feel the emotions that you're going through. Because a lot of the time, if I'm looking through social media, you know, there's sometimes where I just have to shut my laptop and, and yeah. cry because mm-hmm. you you would not be human to not feel that way. And I think we need to normalize that with people. I think not being able to function when a lot of this is going on is actually quite normal. That's where, for me, rest is incredibly important. And I don't necessarily mean rest where you're lying in your bed and you lie there. I think actually that can be worse for me sometimes when when I can't sleep and I just I just lie there or I try to take a nap during the day. I actually think that's mm. worse for me. For me, rest is active. So I need to go out walking. I need to connect with family, connect with people who... Now, not connect with friends. I would say that I have a handful of friends who actually understand maybe what I'm going through. And they are the friends that I connect with during Mm -hmm. times like this because I'm able to hold space for them and they're able to hold space for me. And I think that would be my number one thing is find your community of like minded people. Because if you don't have that, that cognitive dissonance, that that distance that you feel from people, what I found is that shuts me down and it's very, very hard to keep going. It's that it's that personal war again. Right. It's that it's that sense of, you know, there's a lot of times where I felt gaslit, even by my members of my own family, where they'll say to me, Asher, you know, it's, it's not that bad. Things aren't that bad. That's really not the case. And that might be their coping strategy, but it certainly isn't mine. And what I found is the more that we actually talk about this on a very raw, authentic level, you know, the the depth of the truth we speak is the depth of the solutions that we can find to all of this. That's a lovely way of thinking about it. Yeah, because I think and maybe it's an Irish culture as well, but we're such devils for sweeping things under the rug and, you know, not going deep into things and not being honest you know about calling out stuff you know or my parents generation came from a generation where the doctor and the priest and the the guards in the community they held all the power and you just did their bidding kind of thing you know so even if that meant something terrible was going on people wouldn't be honest about it you know so I hope people can kind of take that in and I hear what you're saying with the rest as well and this year I read Zen and the Art of Saving the Planet by Thich Nhat Hanh and that has helped me so so much and he has some meditations where he talks about like sit just sit and breathe with the earth or do a walking meditation and walk with the earth and every step you take is healing and every breath you take is healing because the earth is carrying you like you're you're kind of healing and that that kind of stuff really helps me and because I would have just been like rest okay I'll just lie down and watch Netflix for ages <laughs> but I really mm. I need to rest my mind and rest my thoughts and fill my cup and that really helps and I guess before we move on the joy I would love to hear a little bit about what brings you joy I have definitely found myself feeling a bit more gratitude way more gratitude recently and recognizing even though it's kind of bittersweet that I don't have to experience what people are experiencing in Palestine or in the front lines of the climate crisis and so what what brings you joy that helps you 
music. I love music. I'm learning to play the Bauron. Uh, I'm not. I'm no. I'm not very good at it. Let me just set your expectations right there. I just find it a great way of getting my rage out as well. You know, yeah. I, I can get really angry sometimes with this world. Yeah. And I found the Bauron is really helpful in that respect. Dancing has been something, and I don't mean dancing like you're pretty coordinated choreographed dancing. I've never been a dancer like that. Yeah, talking about wild woman, like just going with the flow, like get yeah, yeah. Oh, I love yeah. it. Yeah, and just wringing the apology out of my bones, kind of dancing. You know, it's it's so important to, and ultimately, I think that's a key way of getting rid of grief. Like if you watch animals when they've had a shock, <gasps> they actually do this shaking thing, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and. I do, it's a dance and yoga class every week. And this, this woman was a professional dancer. And then she, she kind of just exhausted herself with professional dancing and kind of went into more restorative yoga. And the combination of that really gives me a lot of joy. And I would like to do it more. I don't do it enough. And I think ultimately the big thing for me, I've lived away for the past 15 years. I've only moved back to Ireland in the past year. I lived in Switzerland for twelve, the past 12 years. It's not a very warm society. It's incredibly wealthy. Um, people can be quite arrogant. And I really, really struggled in terms of social connection a lot of the time. Mm. So for me, the gift of having my family nearby and just going and having a cup of tea with them, like a simple act of just having a cup of tea and having the crack and laughing, humor. I mean, I think people are surprised by me because I do have quite a... Um, dark sense of humor sometimes and, and people can be a bit like really are you are you not the one who cares about the planet and everything it's like oh yeah we have sense of humors as well yeah yeah and it's, it's this kind of this expectation that you should be sitting there you know with solemn the, the whole time yeah 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 I just can't be that person I really yeah, can't yeah. be that person and I think that's where yeah for the equal you know for however dark and, and dreary and how much grief I feel I have to it's like a pendulum I have to be able to swing the pendulum all the way up to the other side mm. of that joy and a huge part of that is gratitude a huge mm. part of it is gratitude there's so much to be grateful for I mean to be honest when I work with so many indigenous people who don't have a roof over their head who don't have food who don't have water Many of them have already lost their families, have been orphaned, are in genocide conditions. The simple things in life, it really is the simple things in life that I am so, so grateful for. Yeah. And equally, I'm so grateful to any of your listeners who are activists, who turn up to do activism. You know, a lot of the time I don't have time to do a lot of the activist work that I would like to do. I have to remind myself of that. Like, look at the amount of people who care and who yeah. really love this planet. Yeah. That's magic. That's precious. Mm, that's so lovely. You pick up a rock and they're everywhere. <laughs> you know, it's one of those things that there's just so much more to it than than meets the eye. And there's so many people in this country involved. And they're not all, you know, we don't have like loads of famous Greta Thunberg activists they just go about it every single day not not asking for anything in return they just show up and there's 
thousands and thousands and thousands of them in this country alone, let alone further afield. Um, but obviously, we have a lot of conflict going on in the world right now. And I saw recently, I don't know if you saw this as well, Greta Thunberg was making a speech, um, speaking of Greta in, I, I, can't, I don't know if it was London, and she got interrupted by an older man who took the microphone off her and said, I'm here to talk about climate, not politics, because Greta was saying there can be no cl- climate justice Oh, I can't remember in in a place in an oppressed country or in a country that's held mm-hmm. uh, by another state, essentially. So, how is this interlinked, and why should we be talking about war when we're also talking about climate justice? Great question. And I, I think first um, I would just define what do we mean by war? Because okay. war is 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 a huge. Yeah. thing in itself when you think of war you know the, the the definition of war is a state of hostility conflict or antagonism and equally it can be defined as a struggle or competition between opposing forces or for a particular end and the the examples that Marianne webster gives are a class war or a war against disease so you can actually wow. have so many different types of war and a lot of warfare is actually psychological And I think that's maybe what people don't necessarily realize about climate. Okay, and I'm I'm going to reference this book a lot. It's called The New Climate War, and it's by Professor Michael Mann. It was shortlisted as a business book of the year for 2021. So it's not necessarily just for someone who classes themselves as a climate activist. This is really important if you are a business leader, really important to read this book. Why? Because it explains how actually we are all at war. And I think that's key. And I think what a lot of climate activists who might be very privileged people like to think is that I'm not at war, that this affects people in the global south, that this is not necessarily going to affect my family that much. Again, there's that dissonance in their minds. And that's where, you know, you've got the element of class war coming in, where you have this thing of people of privilege. And and by people of privilege, I mean, if you have a roof over your head, food in your belly, clean water, and you're able to switch the heating on, you know, there are a lot of people in this country who are not able to do that. So there's a lot of people who don't want to acknowledge that they are in a war situation because that's a form of denialism. It's actually a form of what I call severity denialism. Michael Mann puts it very well. He draws the battle lines between the people and the polluters. Fossil fuel companies, right-wing plutocrats, oil-funded governments and petrostates. A lot of people who are privileged don't necessarily want to recognise themselves as a working class. They like to think of themselves as, well, I'm in power, but actually they're not, right? The, the, The people who are in power are the oligarchs, the corporatocracy, because we've got to remember that 70% of global greenhouse emissions on this planet are created by 100 companies. 70%. How are we tackling those 100 companies? You know, what are our politicians doing? What are the people in power doing? They're not doing an awful lot. And as Michael Mann says in, in his book, you know, he's been a climate scientist for, for decades. He's probably one of the best um, and well-known of this century. His whole point is, if you don't recognize that you are in a war and openly admit it, then you can't possibly work to get out of it. 
So again, it comes back to that thing that we spoke about, you know, the, the depth of the truth that we speak is the depth of the solutions that we're going to find to this. And it's really, really hard because, you know, this is where it comes back to, this is a political problem. It's a problem of, of the people in power. And that comes back to the whole personal war thing, because then if we internalize this and we feel like, well, this is something that, you know, this is my behavior and fossil fuel companies intentionally did that with the carbon footprint campaigns that they had, where they wanted people to internalize ecological destruction and give the blame and apportion all of that responsibility to individuals. And that is so wrong. It's so, so wrong. Yes, there's responsibilities that we all have. And don't get me wrong. I'm not saying let yourself off the hook. I'm absolutely not saying that. Everybody's efforts, every action counts and every fraction of a degree counts at this stage. But we cannot avoid the fact that 70% of global greenhouse gas emissions are being created by the corporatocracy, as they call them. And that's really, really important. Um, It's it's also really important in terms of uh, imperialism and colonialism. And that person who jumped on the stage with Greta Thunberg, I've got to be honest with you, I have never had the level of trolling that I've had in the past couple of weeks when I've started to speak out about Palestine. There is a level of privileged people who liked to talk about climate change, but on their terms. They didn't want to talk about it in terms of decolonizing our societies and in terms of the the difficult conversations that we needed to have about systemic colonization. And that's what this is. That's what ultimately these conversations are coming down to now. And there's a lot of people who are just kind of going, oh, no, if that's what you mean by by climate action, no, I, I don't want to take part in that because that'll mean I have to give up part of my privilege. That'll have to mean that I I have to acknowledge that I am part of the problem. And I've got to be honest with you, this is where I can only talk from my own lived experience, having been a business executive who was also being, you know, flown all over the world. I used to tell myself, well, this is my job. This is something I have to do. And I had to have very difficult conversations with myself about confronting my own supremacy bias. You know, if we've grown up in post-colonial cultural affinities, including in Ireland, it's a post-colonial culture. That means we all have an embedded supremacy bias. And it took an executive coach to tell me that. It took an executive coach to say, you know, from a psychology perspective, it's not do you have these biases it's how do they show up for you and I think if we all ask ourselves that question in terms of why have we not spoken out about all of the wars that are happening globally we have 110 armed conflicts happening currently Cara 110 we only have 200 odd countries in this world course, yeah now I know that's heartbreaking and I can see you know, you're on a video link to me, I can see the look on your face. And I hate having to say these statistics, but, but it is true. And, and that's where I'm only doing people a disservice if I don't speak to the level of, of severity that we are in, in terms of this planetary polycrisis. 
people say to me, okay, 110 armed conflicts. So are you saying, Naomi, we're already in World War Three? And I say, no, we're not in World War Three. We're in a planetary war. That's a series of proxy wars there, which means, you know, these smaller conflicts that are happening in 110 different places. And they're only the ones that are reported, right? There are places yeah. where we don't I mean, have information. Exactly. There's no cameras and there's no journalists and yeah, there's nothing getting out. Yeah, precisely. We have to kind of say, OK, let's let's just have a very, very big truthful conversation here about the severity of the situation that we are in and stop the severity denialism that I myself was guilty of doing for the past number of decades, you know. And that's where the real action starts to come in. I had to feel that sense of despair. I had to feel, I have to allow myself to feel these emotions because then I kind of go, okay, and what are you going to do about it now? And that's the really important question we all need to ask ourselves, right? Is, are we just going to sit paralyzed by the despair or are we actually going to get up and try to change everything? And people do say to me, I'm an optimist and, and you know, you're never going to change this. And why are you even trying? And that's where to me, when I deal with people from so many marginalized communities in the global South, it would just be my own white supremacy bias coming in to say, well, you know what? I'm really tired and I'm just going to stop doing this now. That's privilege. And, I, and it's not something that I'm willing to do. And I, I, th- I think that's all we can do at the end of the day. That's rediscovering human- our own humanity, right? And that's, that's where the magic sits. I've got to be honest, I have met such incredible people who have done such amazing things within tribes and communities that I've worked with globally. I've also worked in really heartbreaking situations. Um, I worked with women in post-conflict situations in Afghanistan, in Syria, in Lebanon. And I'm particularly thinking of Lebanon today because there was news of conflict spreading from Gaza to Lebanon. And uh, I have a group of, of people there who I just want to be able to bundle them all up and take them to safety. And I can't. And that is really heartbreaking. All we can do is to try to do our best in this situation. Yeah. And what, how can we help? How can most of the listeners here are from Ireland? What can we do? Because you do feel so helpless. I hear you. I hear you. And I'm, you know, there are days where I just feel, wow, I just can't do this today. I need, I need to just take a rest. So that's the most important thing is, first of all, you have to prioritize your own mental health, but not let yourself off the hook at the same time. Remember that the answers are political. Don't internalize the guilt and the shame and everything else that the corporatocracy and the oligarchs want you to feel. Get political. That is my number one thing where I'm not a member of any political party, but I do try to work with all. I'm not afraid to call people out on it. I'm not afraid to say to people, this is not okay that you're not doing anything. And it's very, very hard to have those conversations and equally, we have to have those conversations with our in our own families and within our own friendships. And again, that's where I think a lot of the unraveling of colonialism and imperialism, ha- that's where it happens. And it's messy and it's chaotic and it feels really hard. But once you start doing that, you do start to think about, okay, What are the possible solutions that we can be working towards here? How can we help people? 
just by listening to activists, by hearing marginalised voices in places like Gaza, in, in Lebanon, in the Democratic Republic of Congo. And if those people do not have a platform, it's trying to relay their message. It's trying to pass your mic to them. That's that's really key. You know, the fact that I can sit here in Ireland as a privileged female scientist. Yes, I might be trolled or I might be, you know, I might have threats made towards me, but I'm still relatively secure and safe. And and that's where I have to keep constantly reminding myself of that's also what oppressors want you to feel. They want you to, they want to silence you. They want you to feel despair. They want you to feel that there's no hope and there's no there's no way, you know, of trying anything. So ultimately, I think that's where we do have to keep reminding ourselves that we are also in that psychological war. And the way that I think of it is, you know, if if one of my best friends was in a war zone and and some of them are, would I be saying to them, you need to do more work, you need to be more productive, you need to achieve more? What about your career? Would I be saying any of that? Of course not. I'd be saying the really important things like look after yourself and you're doing amazing for just surviving this. Just do your best. And sometimes your best is just sitting on the sofa and crying and have a cup of tea. Yeah. And that's okay. Yeah. And then equally, there are moments where you might be out in front of parliament, ripping it to politicians and saying, you know, we're, we're not doing this anymore. Mm-hmm. it's that kind of balance and I can't you know everybody is different so there's no mm-hmm. one answer to of all this but yeah it's it's really important to remember that you know insanity it's that saying insanity is doing the same thing over and over again <laughs> and expecting different, different results, results yeah. we haven't really had a mass mobilization of thousands of citizens on the streets saying you're not going to kill my world you're not going to kill my home you're not going to kill my people and you're not going to kill my family I have not seen that and ultimately I do think that's what we need because I think it's the only thing that is going to shift the power that is leading us into complete disaster it's always been people power like every big change everything that looked like it's this way forever from slavery to Ireland's being occupied by Britain everything was like this is the way it is until a group of people said no it's not so no I totally agree with you there now I know I want to re- be respectful of your time but there's so much that we didn't get to is there is there any kind of because I, I find knowledge is power and mm-hmm. I love learning on this podcast from people because then I can if anyone ever goes you know questions I guess my actions as a climate justice activist then I know what I'm doing is right because of the the facts and the information that I know from your experience, the case studies, the work that you do. Is there anything that you think is really important for listeners to know about anything at all from how war is affecting the planet? Because I don't I don't like fighting fire with fire. You know, some people I'm like, well, we need to pick up arms. And I'm like, I don't know if that's the right answer. So yeah what what else would you like to share with listeners that's a really great question uh you know more violence just breeds more violence and that i am absolutely against that my own surname is nihiakon which means daughter of the peace so i'm oh, wow. uh, you know i've always but i don't mean peace in a be quiet stand and, there and, and take it do anything yeah. and sit in your privilege no yeah uh, p- peace comes from action 
And I think that's where it's really important to remember that the number one cause of CO2 emissions in in terms of industries is the military sector. They generate 6% of all CO2 emissions, 6%. And that's only an estimate, Cara, because under the various protocols, the US refused to uh, give away the information and disclose the information. So we are just guessing here. But if you think of 6%, that's more than double of the civil aviation sector globally so that is double what all domestic and international flights so so let's look at the really big problems here you know compared to country emissions the global military would rank as the fourth biggest polluter in the world next to portugal you know that's that's in terms of country emissions Mm. so when you think of that it's it's really again it's about getting political it's about being anti-imperialist it's about trying to enact system change. And this is where I think sometimes people don't really understand what we mean by system change. You know, we need to look at all of the systems in the planetary polycrisis that are causing these problems, particularly our economic system, which is just continually oppressing 90% of humanity. Mm -hmm. How is that allowed? And our own President Higgins has spoken at that, you know, at great lengths about this, how we need to decolonize our societies and how our economic systems need to change. We need a well-being economy. So I think if there's one thing that people were going to call for, it's to shift the money and to shift the economy and to have a well-being economy so that everyone is looked after in society, that we have cultures of care not cultures of greed and systemic oppression, you know. Mm-hmm. There's there's one quote that really stood out to me on Palestine and I'm just going to read it. It's very brief. It's, um, it's from the president of Colombia, um, Gustavo Petro commented a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. We're going to barbarism if we do not change power. The life of humanity and especially of the people of the South, depends on the way in which humanity chooses the path to overcome the climate crisis produced by the wealth of the North. Gaza is just the first experiment in considering us all disposable. Disposable. That shook me to my core when I read that quote, and it summed up everything in my head in terms of what I'm concerned about what is happening right now. And that's where I feel that Gaza has to be a focusing event for all of us to realise that these conflicts are only going to continue unless we all take a stand and say enough. Enough. Because there's a lot of talk, a lot of these wars are over oil as well and resources like so I would love to know out of those 110 conflicts is it you said mm-hmm. how how many of those started or are involved in some way with resources that the wealthy of the of the global north want yes and this is where it's really difficult right because when it's proxy warfare it's really really difficult for us to study that I do think uh just looking at the 
gas fields in Gaza, for example, that have been, you know, there's been a project that was signed off a couple of weeks ago, post October 7th, by the Israeli government, where they have signed off a a gas field that is worth an estimated 1.4 billion in Gaza. So follow the money, follow the resources. That's where you get to the source of the conflict. And I think this is where decarbonizing our society is so important. It's so, so important. And I was in a meeting on Monday about wind energy that's happening off of Dublin Bay. And it's particularly around Dunleary and Dawkey and Kalini. And a lot of people are concerned about sight lines. The aesthetics of it. Yeah. I have to be honest. I got very, very annoyed in that meeting. Yeah. Because... People are not thinking about this in terms of critical thought. You know, what is this actually enabling? If we stay on oil and gas, we're actually financing all of these wars, not just the fiscal, you know, costs of it, not just the weapons, but also the humanitarian rescue efforts, mm. the eco side that's happening. Just think about the the, the amount of biodiversity and wildlife that are being affected by this. Studies show 90% of large animals are destroyed, completely wiped out, 90% in conflict zones. And we have 110 of them. So that's why we need system change. That's why we need to stop the systemic oppression. And to me, I think that's where it's very important in terms of talking about vision for the future. Mm -hmm. Are we all happy to stay in this cycle of doom and gloom and every day there is another that there's something else there's another crisis Mm. we're choosing to stay in this this could change tomorrow if we demand for it to be changed and I think what you're saying that the sight lines for the wind farm is like a symptom of of uh you know obviously a, a much bigger problem but that is a conversation that can very easily be held at the at the dinner table over Christmas or something. There's a lot of, I heard the phrase NIMBY. I was like, what's a NIMBY? And not in my backyard. So, you know, there's things that people want from cycle lanes to green energy, but not if they have to see it or look at it. But, you know, it, it's all conditioned. As you said, like we, we have to be able to, you know, do our bit. And the fact that we banned fracking in Ireland is huge and, we need to be really careful not not to let liquid natural gas in here because we won't know what's fracked and what's not and the damage that does to communities and we'll only get that if we move to like green energy and then to go well it doesn't look nice I mean we're looking at pylons every couple of kilometers like they're not nice to look at either you know I think really having a chat with with your friends and your families it's it's much easier and it's not as draining you know as as obviously talking about conflict can be mm. so that's one thing I really hope people can maybe at least people can take to, to look at how lucky you guys are to be able to have a wind farm that generates electricity in your sight lines and to know that that brings you comfort to going well at least I'm trying really hard not to be complicit in the atrocities that are happening Yes, but moving towards the vision, like so, we're going to go to a vision of the future now. But is there anything else that you would like to share before I ask the last question? I think, well, this time two years ago, I was on a panel with Minister Eamon Ryan and Deputy Brian Ledden and that from COP 
um, we were talking about what um, the question came from from to the panel about, you know, what gave us hope? What was the, you know, and I was really struggling because COP, that was Glasgow. Um, it's, know. Uh, you know, COP has started today in Dubai. Uh, yeah. I've got to be honest with you, it doesn't give me hope at all. So as a panelist, I felt very, very confronted by the question. And I just came back to uh, one Indigenous activist who, as President Barack Obama was walking onto the stage, said she was introducing him. And she said, I, I just want to remind everyone, you know, that this these people who are walking onto this stage are not the leaders that we need. They're not the ones we've been waiting for. And she quoted the Hopi elders. And this was her quote we are the ones that we have been waiting for. We need to take the wisdom of our elders and combine it with the energy of our young people. We are the ones we have been waiting for. The time is now. That's so beautiful and so true. Thanks so, so much for sharing that you shared so many good things Naomi oh, time is just not on our side but I would love to step into a time machine now mm-hmm. and if we go to the future however mm-hmm. far in the future that might be so beep boop bop we land in a time where there's not a single conflict zone on this planet and, and how climate. beautiful would that be? Oh, I mean, just that alone. Describe okay? it. Like, you right? just, you know, I mean, <sighs> to live, we live on a Goldilocks planet, as as Professor Michael Mann says. You know, this is literally like you couldn't find a better planet. So imagine yeah. if we had peace and imagine if we had well-being economies where the rights of nature prevail and where mm. we centre, you know, marginalised voices and and everyone has equal opportunities and we have social justice. I think social justice is the one big, big thing. And overconsumption and hyper-consumerism would be gone. They'd be a thing of the past. We would have had that turning point where we said, we don't want this anymore. This doesn't Mm -hmm. serve us. Mm -hmm. If you have a nature-first approach, nature will have restored herself so much. And this is where, when I listen to Indigenous people talking about how much restoration they see when we just stop. Like, just think about it in COVID, when we stopped. The dolphins yeah. started coming up, the canals in Venice, and, you know, there, there was just so much restoration that happened. So we can do it. We know we can do it. Yeah. It's about just going, okay, it's enough now. Enough of this. Mm. And then for you to look at this happening, right, what does that look like for you? How do you feel with all of this around you? Are you in Venice seeing the dolphins up the canal? Like, help us. No, I'm in Ireland. You're in Ireland? I'm in Ireland. And it is a self-sustaining island where we have rewilded, where we have let nature take back over and and be the, the, the main focus for all of us is to reconnect with our actual source mm. and growing local seasonal produce we've gone away from the like the just-in-time supply chains of of globalization because we realized they were going to collapse so why would you stay in that and now we've got 
localized food sources we, you know we've also gone away from we've got a we've got a much better work life balance this idea mm. of working ourselves to the bone that's over now you know yeah. and people enjoy where they live and there's harmony and there isn't this class warfare that we saw last week during the during the Dublin riots mm-hmm. you know that 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 things like that made us turn around and that we have a decolonized island where we have prioritized ourselves and nature and made it self-sustaining because it could be so beautiful i mean that's the frustrating thing right we've got so many solutions <laughs> Like it can be and it is if you go there like it is and I think that's one of our biggest problems is we can't like that's why I do this because uh, Rob Hopkins the uh, if you haven't read from what is to what if you have to read it Naomi it is so like we are in also in a crisis of imagination how can you get to where you don't know where you're going like yes. imagine it imagine the fresh air and the camp being able to scroll through your social media and see people's you know pictures of their kids and not having to worry about what you're going to have to shut off from quickly you cry over normal things like grief or just your nor your pms and or whatever maybe that's gone as well that'd be great but like there's so many things to benefit from and it's not yes. like, yeah, there's just so much to it. And I think we really struggle because even I've, I've found while asking people this question, they find it really hard to actually be there and mm. to describe what they can see. Our imagination is like not warmed up to it at all. We're like, yeah, well, we have to work on this and this and this. And I'm like, yeah, but seeing it is another thing. So I can see that lovely stable Ireland with that's really multicultural and people are welcome here like it really is the land of a thousand welcomes as well yes and I don't want to just focus it on Ireland either I want that no, to be you know a world yeah. vision and I think that's where vision is much more than our sight lines it's much more than what we can just see it's it's about going up above where we're at because we're not going to solve this by being downstream from all these problems. We've got to be upstream and thinking about what kind of vision do we want to build? And I think that's where I'd also recommend there's um, a book called Bright New World. I don't know if you've heard of it. No, and I haven't. I'm adding that to my list. It's by um, an incredible woman called Cindy Ford. And um, Cindy is an amazing scientist, but she actually made this book so it's accessible to everyone. It's accessible to adults, but it's also accessible to children. And it's, it's, um, it's called Bright New World, How to Make a Happy Planet. And I, I have to be honest, I bought that book for my nine-year-old godchild. And I kept it for myself, Cara, because it inspired me so much. And it just gives me, you know, it does. It's this crisis of imagination where sometimes it's very hard to imagine that. Bright New World, is that what you said it's called? Yes, it's available from Dubray um, Bookshops. Oh, I have it here on my Goodreads. Yeah, lovely. There's so many possibilities. There's so much we can do. It's action is the best antidote to despair. That's what I keep telling myself. Um, And I just I I just want to send my gratitude to all your listeners as well just to say I appreciate every single one of you who is doing everything they can even if it's just liking a post on social media or whatever it is that you're doing and you might feel like you're not doing enough every action counts yeah 
And I think that's the perfect note to end this extremely valuable chat on Naomi thank you so much for opening yourself up to me and listeners and for all the work you do and I'm sure I'm probably going to have you back again to talk about more this is the tip of the iceberg and I'm back hopefully you guys were able to take a lot of what Naomi said in there and you found it as nourishing and cathartic as I did it's not an easy time at all. It is hard and I am going to like let myself say that. I think voicing that, as Naomi said, is really important. And we do need to take extra steps to mind each other and mind ourselves and know our our strengths when we can step away and when we're ready to step back in. And But we can't let ourselves off the hook either. So keep having conversations, keep showing up to vigils and marches and no matter how hard it is I know it's so hard to not act in rage or act in just utter anger and lash out when there's horrific genocide and tragedy going on and people looting in Dublin and and there being a rise of racism and and horrific thoughts and actions all around us we always have to try our best to react and act out of love and compassion because that's the only thing that will inject into that that poison that that is is existing in in pockets of the of the planet and dispel it the only thing is is compassion so it's really hard to do that and if you're finding yourself fighting fire with fire then you know take take a breath and step back I have to learn how to do that and my own therapist as well in my last therapy session I've like all this family drama going on and I was like I just I'm really struggling what's going on in the world like how can I even think about my own personal things when I'm witnessing this on social media and I was really upset about it and she said that it sounded like I needed to take a step back from seeing that kind of footage so I am trying to be really careful about what I'm subjecting myself to I can learn about what's going on without having to to see it that's something I'm figuring out and as Naomi says everyone's different everyone's going to have their 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 own limits and resilience so I'm I really need to work on continue building my resilience and taking a leaf out of Anya Murray's book from the last episode two weeks ago spending more time in nature and I'm also finding a a compelling urge to be creative and to write about what I'm feeling and I think from Sive's poetry to the music I'm hearing to the beautiful drawings and all the different artists that are creating work around everything that's happening all the poly crisis that exists when the conversation is too hard when the debates are too confronting and when there's people in your life that are not feeding into a positive vision for the future if they're like some members of my family if if there's loads of things that we disagree on or they're not hearing me and it's just kind of head to head stubborn no one's getting anywhere this is where art can come in really really useful by showing people pictures or paintings or reading them a poem or playing a song for them that is what the power of art can have is to cut through the stats and the this is how I feel social media blah 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 art can be really good for going uh, here's a photo or here's a picture of something how does that make you feel and chatting about that 
is something that I've found to help. Now, sorry, I know this is a long enough episode already and here's an extra 10 minutes of me talking at the start and the end, but I did just want to throw in a couple of my own feelings. My heart is absolutely breaking. It is really hard to kind of flick between oh here I am doing a podcast while also knowing what's going on in the world so I just I did think it was really imperative that I had someone come on the podcast to talk about it and of course not just the environmental aspect of war but really what goes on in ourselves and what's going on on the planet and nearly every armed conflict is down to resources being controlled we are we have enough resources on this planet more than enough we can comfortably provide for 11 billion people, comfortably. As Naomi and Professor Michael Mann said in his book that is now on my list of books to read, which is getting longer and longer by the minute, this is a war that we're all in and it's a war between people and the polluters. So anytime that there's people in your life creating enemies out of their neighbours, pointing their finger at immigrants or pointing the finger at someone of a different religion. It's between the people and the polluters, always, always, always. And the more we are divided, the more we are conquered. Isn't that how it goes? So unite and react and listen out of compassion and be compassionate to yourself as well. I'm just echoing things now that Naomi said. Let me know what stuck out for you. I love to to hear your thoughts. Please do get in touch. Please do leave a review. Please do share this podcast far and wide. Send it into your WhatsApp groups. Share it on social media. It would really help getting the word out. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, if you rate and review it, it gets shown to, to more people. So all of that kind of stuff does help and or interview I I was trying to get into onto blind boy even message blind boy on Instagram was like here look you need to interview Naomi Sheehan she's great so he hasn't seen the message but I just think she needs a huge platform to say what she said on book of leaves so thank you so much for listening mind yourselves mind yourselves mind yourselves mind yourselves and I'll be back in two weeks and I know I said I was going to celebrate the 100 episode I'm actually going to do that at the very beginning of season six because I just realised that I'd be working well into January then. I actually haven't got time for 100 episodes. The 100 episode wouldn't be released till March or April anyway. So still send me your leaves that I was asking for but I'll have more details on that in the last episode of the season. Okay, thank you so, so much for listening. Thank you for being here and I'm sending love to you and to everyone all over the world whether or not they listen to the podcast I'm sending them love thank you thank you thank you